that idea of this big, huge monster type thing coming out of the swamps. I think we all have kind of this thing in us that wants to believe that there are things that we don't know about out there. That's Liz Carey, today's guest on Everywhere Radio. Everywhere Radio is a production of the Rural Assembly, and I'm your host, Whitney Kimball Coe. Each episode, I spotlight the good, scrappy, and joyful ways rural people and their allies are building a more inclusive nation. Liz Carey is an author and a journalist based in Central Kentucky, and for the past 20 years, she's been telling stories about the world around her. She's earned more than 30 awards for her writing and reporting on issues ranging from politics to transportation to culture and entertainment. In 2018, Liz pitched a special story to our sister program, The Daily Yonder, a story that focused on the cultural and historical significance of cast iron Dutch ovens. It's so worth a read, and it even includes tips on how to get that perfect temperature and a recipe for Southwestern cornbread. That article paved the way for a more regular gig, and today, Liz serves as one of the Daily Yonder's rural health reporters, with a special focus on rural mental health, the opioid crisis, and for these last two years, the COVID pandemic. More recently, and just in time for Halloween, Liz, along with the Daily Yonder, released her latest ebook, Rural Monsters, Myths, and Legends. It's a collection of stories that were first published in the Yonder about the wild, weird, and otherworldly encounters that linger in the minds and memories of rural communities. From alien encounters to tales of water dancing nymphs to evil witches set on revenge, these stories take you through the farmland and swamps, the desert roads, and the chilly lake waters of rural America. Well, Liz Carey, it's so good to have you here on Everywhere Radio. It's great to be here. Thanks for saying yes. How are you today? It's um, chilly out in Kentucky, so um, walking the dog in 36 degree weather was like, oh, and we were just complaining about the heat not too long ago, right? Uh, Part of the reason I was really excited to have you on the podcast was to talk about your new book, Rural Monsters, Myths, and Legends. Um, But also I wanted to talk to you about, you know, the other exaggerations of our lives um, and how we, how we find um, our roots and where we plan ourselves. And I know you're, like you said, you're in Lexington, central Kentucky. Um, And before we talk about your book, I wanted to make sure our listeners know a little, know about you a little bit more um, so they can have a greater appreciation of this work. So I wondered if you would tell me a little bit more about, you know, how you came to be a writer and how your connection to Kentucky and, and your family and those exaggerated tales maybe have influenced your, your career so far. Right. I um, So I grew up in Versailles, Kentucky. It's a small town. There's probably maybe 20,000 people there. Um, it's about a half hour outside of Lexington. So it's metro near. But, you know, it's all horse farms and... Um, Everybody knowing what everybody else is doing, right? There was a guy that I went out with my senior year in high school that was not exactly a fine, upstanding young man. And um, it's such a small town that my mom knew that I was on a date with him before I got home. So, you know, that's kind of the, the, the small town mentality that I grew up with. Um, my dad was... Um, 
the uh, director for the emergency room or emergency department at the University of Kentucky, but he also ran the emergency room at Woodford Memorial. Back then it was Woodford Memorial, which is our local um, hospital. And, you know, he would routinely have people come to our house, you know, or he would go to people's houses to take care of him. It was a much different kind of mentality. And so that was sort of a, a part of our fabric. But I think the important part was, you know, here we came from these um, communities. My mom and dad came from these communities in eastern Kentucky. Um, and every holiday, all of us would sort of sit around the table after dinner was over, especially all of the women. And we would start talking and telling stories and, you know, giving those family histories and um, all of the women in our family talked about politics and you really had to know what you were talking about or people would just totally shoot you down. You know, um, my grandmother was very involved in um, politics. She was very involved in the Methodist church when she was like 75 years old. They said, you know, Miss Carrie, what would you do if you weren't a Methodist and a Democrat? And she said, well, I'd be damned ashamed of myself. So, you know, that's kind of the mentality that, that I grew up with. <laughs> so, you know, and, and we always told those stories and those tall tales about, you know, um, one of my great, great, great grandfathers, um, his mother basically, when she was 19 years old, had an affair with the married farmer next door to her. And when she got pregnant, she had the child, and he was raised by his dad. So his mom moved with her dad to Kentucky. They established a farm, and then she went back to Virginia, kidnapped him, and brought him back to Kentucky. Um, he went on to become a Kentucky state legislator, um, Sinclair Roberts, and he won two terms. He lost his third term um, because he was not in favor of cousins being allowed to marry. And back in the 1800s in, you know, Kentucky, that was a big deal. So, you know, these are the types of stories that we sat around and told at the dinner table and talked about all of the things that were going on in our families, which I think a lot of rural communities do and a lot of people in the South do. And um, that sort of peppered the way that I write and the, um, the influences that I had in getting into writing. I spent 20 plus years as a reporter and um, for the past seven years I've been freelancing. Um, I write for the Daily Yonder and uh, I do their um, rural health, one of, one of the rural health reporters. So, you know, I like to joke. I've said this jokingly a couple of times and people think that I'm serious but um you know clearly as the rural health reporter I've had nothing to write about for the past two and a half years right <laughs> <laughs> yeah um well I do want to talk some more about um your role as the kind of a rural health reporter for the Daily Honor but I want to go back to the dinner table I guess and why I want to know a little bit more about why you were so intrigued by that those conversations um how uh, how politics was viewed in, in your family. What were you all debating and talking about most um, around that dinner table? 
Well, I'm going to answer that question by telling you a story. <laughs> so my grandmother, oh, good. my grandmother, <laughs> when she was 19 years old, she started teaching um, in a one room schoolhouse and she taught grades one through eight. So she was born in 1898. So by the time she got to being marriage, you know, marriage age is about the same time that we were talking about um, the women's right to vote. And she was really big in the women's right to vote. It was really, really important to her to be able to have that voice. So she used to tell this story about all these men who were so anti-women's right to vote and there's this one guy he's walking along this trail and there's this big log this hollowed out log it starts to rain so he crawls into the log to get out from the rain but when it stops raining he realizes he's kind of stuck so he's sitting there trying to figure out how to get out of this situation. And two women come and they sit down on the log and they start telling their stories about how it's unfair that they don't have a voice in politics and that all of this uh, is taken away from them. They don't have the same rights as men and they don't have the same rights to own property. They don't have any voice at all whatsoever. And then she said... By the time they were finished talking, that man was, felt so small, he was able to crawl right out through one of those knot holes. So, when she got to the point where she was going to get married, she made her husband take her to Washington, D.C. for the suffragette marches for their honeymoon. So that's where all of our politics comes from. I mean, it was really unusual in our family. I understand, you know, most of the time women are sitting around the table talking about recipes and they're talking about dresses and they're talking about, you know, I guess the Kardashians now. I don't know. But we all sat around and all of the women talked about politics and, you know, who was doing what and what policies needed to be changed and we were always figuring out how to um, make our world a better place yeah so we're used to getting out and telling stories and talking and being a part of the community and really um, uh, getting involved with all of the stuff that's going on you know, as you're reporting for the Daily Yonder about rural health issues, you know, they're, they're kind of single stories that we know about rural America and rural health issues in particular, you know, that often it's said, you know, rural people are older, sicker, um, have less ex access to services, um, that rural in general uh, is on the decline and rural people are, are declining as well. Um, mm -hmm. There's the opioid crisis, and that often turns into a single story. Um, but your your storytelling and your um, ability to listen to for nuance, I think, comes through in your reporting. And I wonder if, as you're talking about, you know, the, these rural health issues, how do you um, how do you make sure that you are telling more than just a single story, but that you're adding some nuance and complexity? That's a good question. I think that because of the fact that I've been doing it for so long, um, that it's, we're able to 
pull out and suss out some of those details. Um, I was just talking to someone the other day about their um, diabetes issues, and diabetes is a big deal in rural communities. Um, she and I were talking, and she's like, well, you know, I live in South Carolina, and it's almost impossible to get on Medicare and Medicaid in South Carolina unless, you know, you have, you're living with your children's father. She and her husband were disabled and unemployed, couldn't get on Medicare. Both of them had diabetes. They're working these these little, you know, uh, Zaxby's jobs, you know, fast food restaurants and stuff like that, trying to make a living. And um, she was like, you know, I was able to get with the pharmaceutical company to get the drugs. It wasn't the drugs that was the problem. It was the test strips. She was going to flea markets and um, thrift stores to get test strips. And oftentimes those test strips are expired. So the results that they were getting were not accurate results in terms of her um, husband's uh, A1C. So I think being able to talk to people and get them to to tell you more about, you know, what's going on in their particular situation helps to give a better understanding of where people are, where they're at, right? Um, I think a lot of people in urban areas just cannot comprehend what it's like to have to drive 45 minutes to an hour to get to a grocery store or to get to a doctor's office or to, you know, go to a pharmacy, right? Um, and they don't understand the implications of that because it's a cost issue. It's a time issue. It's a labor issue. It's a, um, it's an access issue. It's not just, oh, yeah, I got to drive 45 minutes to go to the grocery store. It's, I got to have gas. I got to have time off work. I got to have a car. I got to have um, somebody to watch my kids. You know, there's so many more things that are involved instead of just, you know, I'm going to hop in the car and go to the grocery store. So I think understanding all of those different nuances helps me to be able to not only suss out all of that information from rural residents because I can relate to them on their terms. What's the old term, the phrase, um, people don't care about what you know until they know that you care. And so I think when we prove to them that we understand mm -hmm. where they are, and what they're dealing with, they're, they're more willing to, to talk to us about their, their issues. Are there, were there any um, stories that you covered or looked at during the pandemic that you'll carry with you or that seemed emblematic of the moment that we were in during those two years? Yeah, there were a couple. Um, one was about a 26, 27-year-old guy who, because of the isolation, it exacerbated his mental health. And because of the fact that he lived in a rural area, 
he wasn't able to get the mental health that he needed and um, ultimately ended up committing suicide. And when I was talking to people about that, um, almost every behavioral health person that I talked to said, there is a tsunami of mental health issues coming our way, and we're not going to see it until probably two years after the pandemic's over. And I think we're seeing that now. Um, I think that, you know, you know how a tsunami, you see the water sort of pull away and then it just comes back. I think we're seeing that pulling away. I, I just, there's so much going on out there. There's so many people who are struggling. You know, some of the good parts were all of the efforts that these small towns um, did to uh, increase vaccinations. Um, we did a lot of stories on, you know, the, the vaccine efforts that people had in their small towns. And um, I thought that was really, really great. Um, there was a lot of things that I learned that I didn't know about before. Um, all of the people who come from Canada to go to Mex New Mexico and Arizona um, or Washington State, you know, to get up to these warmer weathers. And then all of the migration that comes across from Mexico into Arizona and New Mexico to take care of agricultural things. Um, you know, there's a lot of immigration that people like. There was a lot of things that I learned about um, uh, substance abuse. I remember one um, behavioral health person telling me that, you know, when you're dealing with drug issues in small towns, you have to remember you're not as likely to go to a pharmacist and say, I need, you know, these medically assisted um drug treatments because that pharmacist may sit next to you in church. So there are some challenges in rural communities with, with drug treatment that I don't think that um, urban communities have to worry about. Yeah, those were, those were some of the things that I learned that I was just um, floored by. But uh, at the same time, seeing, you know, the, the innovations and the um, the way that people attacked problems and uh, the way that communities came together to um, create solutions in, you know, just an impossible time. We'll be right back after this from The Daily Yonder. Hi, I'm Xander Brown with The Daily Yonder. Check out The Yonder Report, a weekly podcast rounding up the latest rural news, Produced by the Daily Yonder and Public News Service, you can listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And now, back to Everywhere Radio. I wonder when you think about, you know, rural America's future, and especially rural America's role in democracy right now, and how we're, because uh, so much of what we talk about these days is how are we going to um, maintain or save our democracy? Right. I wonder if you think about, is there a role for these rural communities in this moment? Yeah, there's a whole, you know, there's a, there's a hope that we can keep rural children in rural communities to make sure that those communities survive. And it's not just, um, you know, the older, older, sicker, poorer, right? 
And I think during the pandemic, we did see a lot of people fleeing to rural areas. Now, whether or not they're going to stay, we'll have to see. But I think a lot of it depends on whether or not we can get those broadband connections up, whether we can make sure that the infrastructure within rural communities is on the same par as it is in urban communities. I think that if we can fix those broadband issues, that we have a lot of opportunity to keep uh, younger people in um, rural areas. And they are changing the flavor of rural areas. They're much more likely to um, not have a stigma against mental health issues. They're much more um, open to the diversity that actually is in rural communities that we don't really associate with rural communities. I mean, I, you know, everybody thinks that rural communities are predominantly old mm -hmm. white hillbillies, right? Or old white country folk, but that's not, that's not really the mm -hmm. case. Um, there's a lot of diversity that's out there. And I think as we keep the younger communities, uh, younger kids in rural communities will be able to see a lot more of that diversity and acceptance of diversity. Well, I want to make sure that we talk a little bit about your book, um, Monsters, Myths, and Legends. And it's funny when I was thinking about it, I was guessing we might actually talk about some real monsters, some myths that we know have about rural and some legends, but I'm, I think the book is more about actually true monsters. Yes. And, um, and kind of tall tales, not so much right. about, some of those dire issues that we were just talking about. Is that the case? Right. Right. Yeah. Um, I, you know, like I said, I was working on all of these, you know, COVID issues and getting press releases every day that, you know, COVID, COVID, COVID. And I was just like, Oh my God, I, I'm going to pull my hair out. You know, this is just too much. Um, but then I got this one press release that there was a, crew from Expedition Bigfoot that was going to be in Kentucky. And I was like, why the heck would anybody be looking for Bigfoot in Kentucky, right? And it turns out, you know, <laughs> they went into to southeastern Kentucky and were looking around and um, I was like, well, y'all got to let me write about this, right? So it was just like, you know, talking to the scientists and about all the stuff that they found and all these Bigfoot legends. And I just, you know, I wasn't expecting anybody to pay any attention to it. But then all of a sudden, everybody is looking at this story and we're like, hmm, there's a lot of rural legends out there. Because, you know, I don't know if you've noticed or not, but we don't get a lot of cryptids in, like, Chicago right? It's mostly in rural areas. So <laughs> we were looking at Mothman in Point Pleasant and the Flatwoods Monster in West Virginia. And um, um, we just started looking at all of these different things. And it was like one a month. We kept looking at all of these cryptids and legends and, and people just loved them. And I was like, Okay, so October of last year, we put together one big, Why huge is that? piece. Why do you think that? I think that people, uh, you know, want to know about the unknown or things that are not 
I don't know. Um, I think we all have kind of this thing in us that wants to believe that there are things that we don't know about out there. And there's always, I don't know, if you've ever been out in the middle of nowhere at night and every creak of a branch or whatever sounds like a serial killer about ready to jump into your house, right? You know, you wouldn't think that these are these things that are out there. Um, I remember when I was, one of the first chapters of the book is about the legend of Boggy Creek. That was a, um, a movie that came out when I was 10, probably. And I remember my cousins coming to see it with me. And um, it scared the living bejeebies out of me. I was just, I, it, it, I've never had anything scare me that much. And, um, you know, that, that idea of this big, huge monster type thing coming out of the swamps and coming after people. I think it just sort of struck a chord with me. I've always been interested in, you know, um, Bigfoot and all of those other things. So to be able to write this was just Mm -hmm. uh, wonderful. How did you source these legends, myths? Um, How did you find these? See that count? See that picture right there? So that is a um, map that has the most popular rural myths and legends all across the country. So um, the lizard man in South Carolina that we didn't do anything about because I know for a fact it's a hoax. Um, Cattle (laughs) mutilations in Washington. um, The dark watchers in California. There were all of these things. And then we sort of collaborated together uh, Jan and, and uh, one of the editors of the Daily Yonder and I and a couple other people got together and we sort of came up with this list of things that we wanted to look into. Um, and since I'm from Kentucky, you know, um, there's the um, there was like an alien landing supposedly in um, Kelly, Kentucky, which was where the term Little Green Men came from. It's not just that there are these rural myths and legends, right? Some of them, they have become tourist draws. Um, Mothman Festival and Mothman himself brings in probably 25,000 people into Point Pleasant, West Virginia every year. That's huge for some place like um, Point Pleasant. And they've used it to really fund um, museums. They've used it to fund this gorgeous waterfront sort of um amphitheater along the river there um there's a guy in uh like uh, on the shores of lake pepin that is offering a fifty thousand dollar reward if anybody can come up with dna from peppy the lake pepin sea monster you know so this is an economic development strategy for rural places too um if we could all just come up with our what is what is the legend that that binds us, links us together, um, and then celebrate it. Well, and Halloween is right around the corner. Uh, right. Is there a particular story in this collection that you feel is 
fairly spooky and good for this season. Um, Bunny Man in Virginia. And this is Bunny Man is this guy. And this is actually a real story. It's a guy who dressed up in a, uh, a bunny suit and threatened people with an axe. It only happened twice, but then it turned into a legend that, you know, people were like, oh, yeah, he's killing children and he's eating rabbits and, you know, all this other stuff. But again, it's turned into this sort of almost economic development thing in that um, so many people come to hang out at this place called Bunny Man Bridge, where he is supposed to have lived, that police have to cut off all of the access to that bridge during Halloween because they're afraid that people are going to get run over or, you know, get hurt or whatever, um, just based on this, this, you know, rural legend. That's fascinating. All right. So folks can, uh, get this book. It's out now. Uh, I saw it on Amazon for Kindle and -hmm. is it elsewhere? Can we pick it up elsewhere? You can get the ebook through, um, the daily yonder and it's on almost all of the, um, major, um, ebook distribution channels. Oh, that's exciting. All right. So rural monsters, myths, and legends. Right. Um, I always ask my guests, what, what are you reading right now or watching or listening to, uh, that is either inspiring you or challenging you or something you'd want to share with the rest of our listeners? Um, well, you know, it's Halloween. So I started reading um, uh, Stephen King's Night Shift again. I just put down um, The Splendid and the Vile mm-hmm. to watch that, uh, to read that. Um, and I'm um, currently addicted to Cobra Kai. I, you know, I don't know why, but I guess it's because of all of the 80s stuff. But then every day, you know, I'm reading tons of press releases about just great things that are happening in rural communities. So um, it's inspiring to go out and tell those stories. Thank you so much um, for being on today and for your good work with the Daily Yonder. And I'm excited uh, that this book is out and I encourage everybody to look for it. Um, Rural Monsters, Myths and Legends by Liz Carey. Thank you, Liz, for being here. Thank you. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed Everywhere Radio, we'd love for you to consider subscribing to the General Rural Assembly newsletter. That's where we promote new offerings from the Assembly, and we amplify the good work of our many partners across the country. We've also launched a new policy advocacy newsletter that comes to inboxes on Mondays to help you start each week with a quick take on the top issues that we're tracking across the nation. Everything from broadband policy to rural vaccinations. Just head over to ruralassembly.org to sign up. If you're a true fan of Everywhere Radio, please let us know by rating us wherever you get your podcast. If this isn't your cup of tea, that's no biggie. It's fine. And we'd like to thank our media partner, The Daily Yonder. Everywhere Radio is a production of the Rural Assembly. Our senior producer is Joel Cohen. Associate producers are Teresa Collins and Xander Brown. And our assistant producer is Anya Slepian. And we're grateful for the love and support from the whole team at Center for Rural Strategies. Love you mean it. You can be anywhere, we'll be everywhere.